So checking some levels, right? Yes. Am I allowed to say anything yet? You are. Okay. Well, that's that's good to know. And just so you know, the levels do sound pretty good. Are they the best ever? Um, you know, it's been about three weeks, and so it's really hard to compare right now to three weeks ago. There's effectively no basis of comparison. Effectively, no. In reality, yes. But I can't remember the basis of comparison. But I would tell you if this didn't sound good. Because I have too much respect for you to not tell you the truth about the levels. It's good. I take my craft seriously. You should. I mean, and it shows. Although, I never expected this to be, nor maybe is it necessarily my craft. It is a craft. It is a craft. I don't know if it's mine yet. <clears throat> and that's actually a really good segue into what we're talking about tonight is a particular kind of craft. Well, we haven't bantered yet. We ha I mean, we're, we're in the process of bantering. Yeah, don't skip the banter. It's essential. Right. The, well, the segue did not necessarily mean that we're, we're limiting the banter. Circle back to the segue. <laughs> Thank you, Pasaki. Now... My my feeling, my hope is that the eighteen people that listen to us value the last banter. time you said three, the three people. We're up to eighteen. That means that we've increased sixfold. You're right. In the interim, my hope is that your parents and your brother, and you know maybe the two or three people they've told by now, because that's what we asked them to do. I've told a few people four weeks ago. I did too. I also uh, I recently shared it with a with a buddy. Yeah. I probably should be like I'm not a very good self promoter. Particularly yeah. because I feel like most of the people I interact with get enough time of listening to me talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I don't really feel like that's that's true for me. I see you essentially twice a week. Oh, oh, you don't think I'm a good self? Wait, what? What? what what's not? True? No, no, I'm, I'm saying that like I don't know that I get enough of you talking. Ah, because I mean, this is about the only time that we talk. I mean, like you know, we might talk a little bit at church, mm -hmm. but most of being at church is not just listening to byron talk right right it's not really you know the point i mean sometimes you preach and that's good you're preaching soon next I'm, week i'm preaching this week that's actually. what i thought yeah not i typed the schedule i'm not entirely sure what i'm gonna preach on yet i got some ideas got some yeah. ideas working working on some things anymore it's hard to not have a, an idea yeah i mean or like if you're listening to anything or watching anything or or reading anything and correlating that with the scriptures, I mean, it's hard to not have, you know, something yeah. percolating. Well, maybe it's a little bit of a teaser. Tease away. Although this is not banter. <laughs> You'll fix it in post-production. Oh, here we go again with that. <laughs> you, you ask for banter, and I give you banter. Yeah. I give you a classic running gag. Post-production. Fix it in post. You always do. My other craft. Cleaning up after Justin. Booch. In an audio sense. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about, though, you know, that scripture you used this, this Sunday in, I believe it was First John, where it talks about, let us not love with our words, but w w in deed or action or something like that. Yeah, so I, I read a little bit from chapter one and a little bit from chapter three. Yeah, you know, and I was just thinking about that, because I've talked about speech a lot, and certainly, you know, taming the tongue and the things, our words can have a lot of impact, mm -hmm. but also, talk is cheap. You know, just do it. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Oh, you talk the talk. You need to walk the walk. 
That's a good point. There's your teaser, folks. <clears throat> dun, 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 dun. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. I mean, I feel teased. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, it almost sounds like you could take over, you know, episode 33 yourself. Just spitballing. Oh, really? You think so? I mean, it sounds like you could. Does that tie into what you're going to talk about? Well, maybe. I mean, you know, it's it's in the Bible, so, it, you know, it, it, could, it could. I mean, you know, you're talking about word and deed, and, and there, there being correlation between words and deeds. But is it crafty enough? Well, see, the kind of craft that we're talking about is when there is a discrepancy between word and deed on purpose. Mm. So have we started? I don't know. That's a great question. <laughs> Ready? Go. Welcome to Deuterocanons. This is episode 33, Money, part three, The Sorcerers. We had a money part one, which was just sort of money. We had a money part two, which... No, 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 no. It was... Good point. That's all I'll do. Okay. Nice bass line. Thank you. We had a money part two, so if uh, if you're just joining the podcast... You could go back and listen to Money Part 1 and then Money Part 2, which focused on Babylon. Mystery Babylon was was the title of that one. And we really didn't get done with that, with that topic. And so, for the first time ever, we are going to have a Deuterocanons Part 3. Which is immediately after the first time we had a Part 2. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like it's... Well, immediately. The long-awaited part two from Justin. And, and it really was long-awaited because been, I, I, I feel been, like a lot has happened to me. I know that a lot happened to you. Yeah. I mean, you sort of went around the world and came back, and, and I... Well, but also, you've been dangling this part two in front of people for a while. I mean, what it would what what the part two would be of, like which which part one the part two would proceed, it was anybody's guess. Turns out all it took was a little bit of money to to light a fire. It's true. Will there be a part 4? Will there be a part 4? Well, I I didn't really want to get there yet. But I I, I know that there could be a part 4, although I won't like inflict it on you, Byron, necessarily the next time that we get together because I know that you have things on your mind too as you have previously teased this evening already. For those of you playing at home, Justin came tonight with a folder full of papers. So, I think there's a part four. Okay, it's a folder <laughs> that contains two pieces by C.S. Lewis. But before I get into that, there's some more introductory material that I need to cover. Again, this is episode 33, and I am Justin, and with me always is Byron. Party on, Byron. Party on, Justin. We are on various platforms. We are on Apple, iTunes. We are on Amazon Audible. We are on Podbean. Like, share, subscribe, comment. I will not say smash that like button because I think that that's kind of pretentious. So if you do happen to click the like button, please don't do it in a smashing sort of way. You know, just kind of just a humble click or tap would suffice. Uh, tell a friend, comment, those sorts of things. So like I've said, this is Money Part 3, The Sorcerers. Byron, would you 
care to give, I don't know, any sort of recap from parts one or two? <clears throat> yeah, so uh, I guess, let's see. Part one was more like a, so we have money, um, and maybe like, here, here's why, here's, here's some of the things that have been exchanged in the past, and at the end of the day, it's not in and of itself sinful, it's a tool. And I think it's, you know, maybe among the many things that we as Christians need to demonstrate self-control and not let become an idol. Uh, but certainly it's also capable of a lot of evil, which means that, which is kind of what we got into with part two. Well, no, we didn't quite really. We talked about, man, hold on, the mystery Babylon thing. Right. Might need a little bit of help on that one. Because we talked about this idea of Babylon being depicted as a woman in Revelation Mm -hmm. and where some of that comes from. We looked at some other examples of women, I would say both righteous and sinful uh, throughout the Bible. And so then, and then, and, and how that supports what Babylon represents in Revelation. And then we ended on a pretty key verse. It's where the, it was like the, the cliffhanger. What, which one was that? Let's see if I can find it. Was it at the end of Revelation 18? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Which was like the kind of the whole, so what are we talking about here? <laughs> so while you're turning, I, I think I'll give a little bit more of a recap. We uh, we didn't exactly go so sequentially in Mystery Babylon. So to start off at the beginning of the story, Babylon goes back to Babel. Babel was a city in, the, uh, in Mesopotamia that was established apparently... Man, are you going to fix that in post-production for me? <laughs> I don't know. I That's easily that the thing. largest sneeze that I've ever perpetrated on the audience of Deuterocanons. <laughs> I'll bet you're not going to fix that in post-production, and you're just going to gloat over it. I didn't think it was going to happen for a second. <laughs> Man, like, you know what it was? We haven't been on these microphones in three weeks, and so they got a little bit dusty. Mm. And that's just a good life lesson. Don't let your microphone get dusty, kid. <laughs> mm. It's a metaphor there. Somehow. Everything is. Yeah. Babel was established by Nimrod. And we don't get a whole lot of detail about that in the Old Testament. I mean, we, we it does say that Nimrod is, uh, built <clears throat> Babel. We know the stuff that happened in Babel a little bit later with the building of the tower but the uh, the Jewish historian Josephus gives like kind of fills in some of the some of the blanks there, and what he asserts is that Nimrod was really the world's first tyrant, mm -hmm. and he he wanted everybody to follow him and to fear him and essentially to worship him intentionally instead of God. He was he was angry at God for for the flood, and and what God did to you know just with destroying the world. And so he was really setting himself up in place of God and to, to kind of perfect his tyranny. Josephus says that what, <clears throat> what Nimrod did was, was literally to, to tyrannically make people dependent on him mm -hmm. so that they would look to him for all the things that they ought to be looking to God for. And one of the primary ways that he did that was a direct affront to God which was the Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. And it was a direct affront to God, not because he was trying to build a tower that would be so high that it would actually reach into the dwelling place of God. That's not what 
that scripture means by a tower reaching the heavens. It was one that would be really tall, essentially an ancient skyscraper. I mean, they it says they built uh, they uh, they baked the bricks thoroughly, so they were really strong, mm-hmm. and that they they covered. They covered it, or well, the, their mortar was bitumen or pitch or tar. So the idea there was that they were making it waterproof, and they were making it tall enough that if God ever disapproved of or you know brought judgment on them, that they they would be able, you know, if they were within um, su- uh, sufficient proximity of the tower, you know, that once the rain started, they could all get there to the tower they could get up in there and they would be safe from the flood so it's like nimrod thumbing his nose at god like hey look at this look what i've built it's not just hey look at me i built it but because i've built this what can you do now Mm -hmm. so that's you might say that nimrod is like the father of babel and therefore also babylon Mm -hmm. so then when we get into uh, the book of isaiah you have the daughter of zion or the daughter of Israel contrasted, w- well, really compared with the daughter of Babylon, mm-hmm. and so we read both of those passages, and th- there were a lot of similarities. Like both of those figures have problems, mm-hmm. and of course, they're not just individual people; they are um, personifications of the the spiritual and s- like sin problems that those those people had. But then Babylon shows up again in the book of Revelation, this time not daughter Babylon, but the whore of Babylon. The gal has grown up. She's all grown up. All <laughs> grown up. And so she she's described in, in several chapters in the book of Revelation. And Byron, I reckon you're probably there now. So you want to you wanna read that? Which part? 18? Yeah, the kind of the penultimate that you were mentioning. All right, I'm going to start at 9. Is that good? Yeah, that's great. All right, so. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind of uh, every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh, and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves. <clears throat> they will say, the fruit you long for is gone from you, all your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship and the sailor and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. 
Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. Okay, and I, I think that I'll... <clears throat> um, I think I'll, I'll finish that out, 21 through 24. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such great violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. So the scriptures here are really laying a lot at the feet of this thing, whatever, whatever it is. Yep. Okay, so what's it talking about? I mean, I kind of feel like it's talking about money. I think it might be talking about money. I mean, that seems to be the one thing that all these have in common. I mean, you know, cities are, I guess, uh, well, they're, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? I mean, they're commercial areas, right? That's where we go to exchange yeah. money. <clears throat> Merchants exchange money. People on ships exchange money. All the things described in there are goods that are purchased with money. Um, There's also a, a tendency throughout history for um, major powers to be... Uh, what, what would be the, the, the literary term here? <clears throat> uh, maybe a, a, like a, a metonym, I guess. Like Rome was a city. Mm -hmm. But the w when you say Rome, you don't simply mean the city you mean the entire area over which that city has dominion. Mm, yeah. You, you could say the same of Athens. I mean, I know like the Greek empire, but you know, yeah. if you're talking about Athens, say 400 BC, you're really talking about, or, or you could say Alexander, and you're not just talking about the guy, but you're talking about the entire dominion. Well, I mean, like people compare and contrast, you know, Athens and Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. You know, those are well, used and, and, yeah. sim symbolically. Symbologically. Symbiologically? Is that the word? <laughs> no, I, I don't yeah. think so. So here, instead of a city that's a... Uh, and, and even Babylon, you know, at the at the beginning was a, was a political entity that had influence and, and dominion. But we get the sense here that it's something that's um, outside of say political power mm -hmm. you know it's something that you know we have the imagery of that mystery babylon sits upon many waters yeah you know so she, she is above above the simply political cities yeah what whatever she happens to be because it says that the kings of the earth and the merchants are drunk off of her adulteries yeah money because that and so that I, I guess you, maybe this is a little bit of speculation on on my part because there have been other interpretations for what mystery babylon signifies right the most common one like the one that i heard growing up was the roman catholic church oh really yeah i don't know if you're familiar with that idea but that's very common in 
I guess you could say Protestant groups that read and read about and uh, and discuss prophecy. Hmm. Very very common idea. Interesting. Yeah. The thing is, uh, several years ago, I mean, I, I guess I was grown. I was already living here. You know, just reading through Revelation in the course of my Bible reading, and I get and I get to the whore of Babylon and, and I think I had even just heard some teaching about, or like equating the Roman Catholic church with the whore of Babylon. And I read the, the description here and it doesn't seem to fit mm-hmm. about the only thing that, that you could say is that, um, at one point it says that maybe it's the beast and not even the, uh, Babylon itself. Maybe, maybe it says, says this about Babylon, but sits on seven Hills. Uh huh. You remember that part? Yes. Okay. So they say, well, Rome is on seven hills, so that means the Roman Catholic Church. But, but there are lots of other cities that yeah. have seven seven hills. And none of these other descriptions, like like all of this stuff about commerce and being over the kings of the earth and the merchants, um, I just don't see any way that... And so, like, I'm not ap- apologizing for or supporting Catholics or... Or trying to throw them under the bus, like I think that those prophetic teachings kind of do. Uh, it just doesn't. It doesn't add up to me. Now, yeah. I mean, maybe somebody who who happens to think that can take me aside and I don't know, show me, show me in the scriptures where that where that fits. Yeah. But I don't think the Vatican is uh, has cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and on and on and on. And I also don't think that you can lay lay the guilt for the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been killed on the earth at the feet of the Vatican, even though, you know, there, there are plenty of bad things that the Vatican has been responsible for over the years. Well, you know, I mean, I guess if you think about this idea of, like you said, uh, well, I don't know what you, I don't remember what you said exactly, but, but this (laughs) idea, this idea of, uh, this being something that is, uh, above, governing authorities i mean i guess to me that's where the the money thing makes sense because i mean think about think about the american revolution right what what led up to that it it was um the government of england uh basically well trying to get the colonies to make up for the expense created by defending them in the the French and Indian War, if I'm not mistaken, right? So, yeah, I'm really glad that you're mentioning this mentioning this because this is where where I was going to go next. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Good job. And so, I mean, and and this is like I guess one of the points I, w- I was making the first night where, like, I've seen. You know, you, you can't wait. You can't fight wars for free. Like, it requires money to do it. And so, man, like, you got to be careful because. Uh, you know, and this starts getting to like military industrial complex and all that stuff where you can see where, where that can get away from you. But at the same time, when you put a budget on, on fighting a war, right? Like you're creating limitations and it's like, well, do you want to win or not? Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like it's, but it's gotta be paid for. And we even saw that during world war two. I mean like the, 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 um, who am I thinking of the guys that were, uh, at Iwo Jima that raised the flag there, that were brought back to help sell war bonds or a lot of like the medal of honor winners were brought back to help store, sell war bonds. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in fact, in that movie flags of our fathers that they talk about that, how, you know, they're running out of money to fund this war. Like we've got to raise more money. And so, 
I guess my point is, is that even these, these powers answer to commerce, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. So going to the American revolution real quick, <clears throat> there, there's an even closer connection than, you know, the, the, the expense of defending the colony. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there were there were some British officials that came through kind of surveying the colonies. I want to say in the 1760s, like 1763, 1764, something like that. And they 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 interviewed Benjamin Franklin, and because there was tons of prosperity, mm-hmm. and they wanted to know, okay, how is it that you all are prospering so much? And he said, well, it's because we've issued our own currency. Oh yeah. And and then they they said, oh, took that news back to England, and then they passed one of the intolerable acts. Right. Which was that they were, I mean, I think it's called the, the Currency Act. Hmm. And and that stipulated that the colonies only use British currency. Yeah. And what, what that created was an, was an almost immediate financial depression. Right. In, in the colonies. Huh. Yeah. And in fact, l- l- listen to what James Madison said. Well, I mean, t- talk about like... Uh, an actual scarcity issue, you know, because because I mean, like even money itself, I'm talking like the physical coins and paper are only so durable. Yeah, you know, and so there's the scarcity that exists just by like uh, in in the idea of money. Let's say, like theoretically, if you're not dealing with fiat currency, currency and some of the stuff where they just print more, yeah. like there should only be so much in the market as it is. Mm-hmm. But then if you're, you know, 30 days away from the mint, I don't know, you're 30 days ship voyage away from the mint and you're literally like, hey, these coins are like worn out. Like we can't even use them anymore, which I mean, maybe it's not necessarily the case there because they were probably operating with actual sterling. And so it could be melted down for other purposes, perhaps. I don't know. Point being like, think about if the U.S. mint closed down and we only had, we can only use the dollars that were currently in circulation. At some point, like literally the paper is going to, be worn out yeah yeah that's that's true and so i i'm I'm gonna uh table the the quote from from madison real quick so um suffice it to say if if we if you want to understand like who could perhaps have influence over or control over the kings of the earth and the merchants it just logically makes sense that it would have to be some sort of money type uh, purveyor mm-hmm. or cartel yeah o- over top of them because the the so it, whether a king wants to go into war or fund universal health care or a president or whoever chances are they don't have cash on hand to foot the bill yeah so if you don't have cash on hand to foot the bill for the thing that you want to do you got to get it somewhere so where do you get it you get it from a central bank yeah same thing with merchants i mean like you have operating loans, which I don't know, the, the smaller scale you're, you're, you're dealing with, probably the more on the up and up it is. And all of the people that we know are in terms of, I don't know, the world financial stage are very, very small. Uh-huh. But when you're dealing with huge multinational corporations where they're going to, you know, have some sort of like billion dollar expansion, you know, if they don't have cash on hand, they have to get it from somewhere, mm-hmm. hence central banks. And actually, it's central banks. Central banks don't do business with normal people like you and me. Right. 
they only do business with governments and other banks. Other banks, yeah. Yeah. And so I a lot of people number one don't know how how those things operate and I can't because I'm not in that system. I've just read about it. Um, but suffice it to say, like the scriptures say that there's something that's over the kings of the earth and the merchants. Mm -hmm. There's something to whom they are, someone or something to which they are beholden. Yeah. And, but, and we know that Mm -hmm. you don't even have to know the details of how it operates to recognize that. Well, okay. How did, how did president Wilson afford world war Mm one central banks? Mm -hmm. How, how was it that we were able to afford the revolutionary war? central banks like that's why like john adams visited like the like amsterdam Mm -hmm. you know yeah you you can you can see that in the the john adams series so you could actually study history a lot a lot of history a couple thousand years of history at least easily the 20th century just by looking at who was funding whom Mm -hmm. in terms of central banks financing uh governments and corporations so i i say that to say this it seems like a i mean like is this okay or is this not okay you know what i mean mm-hmm. like is is this okay or is it not okay because this is a part of like daily life well and i, I hope i'm not jumping ahead too far here but no go for it it's interesting that you use the word cartel okay mm-hmm um, again, this is just my, like I did what I do. I did microeconomics 101, right? Yeah. So that's, and I've read some Thomas Sowell books. So this is like, you know, coming from that limb, uh, by all accounts, not an expert, right? But you know, when I, when you hear the use of that word cartel, we tend to think of the idea of drug cartels. And I think it's kind of the same concept. It's a bunch of, uh, larger entities kind of being in cahoots with one another. I got a definition here though. It says an association of manufacturers, suppliers with the purpose of maintaining prices at a high level and rest- restricting competition. And so um, when I think about some of the, the censorship and free speech issues that are going on in our country right now, I think the entities that are uh, advancing that narrative, like some of the big tech companies are more akin to a cartel. A lot of people say monopoly. Mm-hmm. They're a cartel. It's a cooperative. Yeah. But I think to your, to the point we're making here, and this is an example of where money like uh commerce uh you know commercial entities with with that as their motivation can make things happen that governments can't because governments are at least for now you know are specifically bounded by the constitution right and so i think that i I don't know i think that's an example of where uh the money the money is the purveyor at the end of the day of this, this great evil and it's it's over everything else maybe yeah so a couple of quotes real quick. First of all, from Thomas Jefferson, he said that if if there if if it were ever allowed for there to be a central bank to be established in the United States, then the Revolutionary War would have been fought in vain. Mm-hmm. So that so that's you know I guess trying to think about okay, so like is this is this thing okay more or less okay or is it more or less not okay? Um, Thomas Jefferson was of the opinion that it that it wasn't. Here's something that James Madison said history records that the money changers have used every form of abuse intrigue deceit and violent means possible to maintain their control 
over governments by controlling money and its issuance. Mm-hmm. So there we have James Madison recognizing that the thing that's oftentimes over the government uh-huh. is a or multiple central banks. Yeah. So we've got Thomas Jefferson, we've got James Madison. We've also got Revelation. And, and James Madison said money changers here. What does that make you think of in the Bible? Tax collectors. Well, I, sorry, the temple. The temple? Yeah. Yeah, what was going on there? Uh, okay. So let me think. Okay, so this is happening in the court of the Gentiles in the temple, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's part of the issue there because, you know, in the temple each, each I guess— demographic had their own area to worship there's the court of the gentiles the court of the women and the court of the hebrews which i guess is for like hebrew men right so i think first and foremost part of the issue is that you're automatically the the gentiles are automatically kind of put in a second class citizen position because we're using your space of worship for like you know for the money changers which is uh um deceitful activity let's say and then like this is where you you buy your pigeon to sacrifice perhaps right and they were they were changing money because like the roman money had um you know a picture of caesar impressed on it well and i wonder some of this too yeah so i think there's an element of uh like if you're coming to pay your what would be like a temple tax or something is that yeah i think i think it was a half shuckle and so they were they were exchanging money because you couldn't use roman coins to pay the temple tax. Right, and I, I would imagine some of that probably ties into during my week, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, two episodes ago, because we talked about the difference between the shekel, yeah, uh, you know, the temple shekel versus the other shekels, because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, it was a unit of measure, right? Yeah. Anywho, opportunities so, for somebody to cheat somebody is what it seems like. Yeah, and also what was happening was that there was a, a, a scarcer supply apparently of the uh, of, of like the actual the, the acceptable coins right the ones that didn't have a graven image on it mm-hmm. and so that meant that the that the money changers could sort of set the rates yeah. and that's how they would that's how they would stiff people interesting yeah <clears throat> and and Jesus hated that he overturned their tables and he said, that my my father's house would be a house of prayer, uh, not a den of thieves. Because so often the ones who set the exchange rates do so to control others and enhance their own net worth. So I want to pivot slightly. Oh, pivoting. Yeah, a slight pivot. So this is back in Revelation 18, and and I there, there's a detail here about the uh, about Babylon that I, I'm going to try to tie into uh, these other things that we've been talking about. It says in verse 23 at the end of it, "Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell." All the nations were led astray. Yours might say sorcery or witchcraft. Mine says magic spell also. Oh, magic spell also. Yep. Okay, well, that, that's that's often given as, you know, sorcery, witchcraft, magic spell. So I, I want to dig into that a little bit. First of all, you know what the Greek is there? 
I don't. Pharmacaea. Okay. Is that linked to like pharmacology? Yep. Okay. So that's interesting. Yeah. That 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 would be something that she's known for. So, but it also it says magic spell. So, what is that? Like what what is a magic spell? It's okay. I hadn't thought about this either before like five weeks ago. What is a magic spell? Yeah, seriously, I had never thought about it. I mean, I guess I'm also one. I'm I'm kind of now wondering if that's the Greek. Uh, if it's you know, that which can't be explained, you know, like. Like well, I'm, I guess I'm wondering what what we would now call science is. Some did they back then call magic? Okay, that's we're gonna we're gonna get into that. Okay. We are, and that's that's why I've given you two documents from C.S. Lewis. Because there certainly could be an aspect of this where, like, when you're getting into like, uh, uh, like the occult or whatever, like some dark magic, like that's that's not even science, right? Like that's tampering with potential evil, you know, like witchcraft. Mm-hmm. But then I, I wonder if, um, if there, I, I, well, yeah, I'm assuming there's probably a time also though where. Things that couldn't be explained were being were, were being explained away with with magic. When in reality, it could be what we didn't know was well. No, this is actually an antihistamine, and what it does is it opens up airways. That's why you can breathe now. It's not magic, right? Yes, uh, yeah. We we are gonna very much get to that. I I actually consulted a uh, an expert on like a, a Greek expert on that word, and so here here's what he said to me he, uh, about pharmakeia. He said the word literally refers to taking drugs either as medication or illicitly as in creating magical potions. The latter has led to a metaphorical translation referring to sorcery or witchcraft and is therefore often associated with idolatry. The word also appears in Revelation 9.21. Let's see. It's my opinion that contextually it's being used in Revelation to refer to the metaphorical interpretation of sorcery and idolatry. And he said that was his initial take on it so if it can mean if, if pharmacaea can mean anything from let's say a beneficial herb uh-huh. all the way to something more like uh, smoking crack smoke yeah that <laughs> uh, yeah that that whole that whole gamut because w- we have that idea you know the word drug mm-hmm. it's like there's drugs and then there's drugs right there's over-the-counter drugs and then there's over on the street corner drugs right and one is more or less okay usually in the right quantities well okay. for the right reasons let me give a good, a good example of this though yeah. right like so fentanyl is a drug that is very much kind of on the scene right now and, and you know yeah. like the smallest dose of it can kill you right but i mean i know there's medical people out there that weren't weren't saying too much when this was going on but it's also an arc it's also a analgesic that we use like a narcotic you know hmm. for treating pain so like when we have trauma patients uh one of the things that a lot of our guys will carry with them is a, we call it a, uh, uh, geez Louise, I'm saying fentanyl. Did I say fentanyl? Yeah. Fentanyl lollipop. So a fentanyl lollipop, it's not really a lollipop. It's, but it's transmucosal. So what it is, it's on a stick. It has this little sponge and, and when a person gets wounded, they can put that between their, their, uh, cheek and their gums and it's absorbed through the capillary beds, right? Mm-hmm. It's 600, 800 milligrams in this little sponge. 
and that's kind of like a stopgap until you can give them something good like ketamine or morphine or whatever. Mm -hmm. So like it has a legitimate use and has been used for, it's been used trans, so transmucosal is what we use on the battlefield, but then it's also used in, in ORs and ERs everywhere. It's more of a short term, um, like a short duration analgesic, right? You're not gonna get the long-term effects and, and maybe the efficacy you get out of a morphine. Um, and so anyways, you see my point though, right? And, and I think this kind of speaks to what you're saying. Like there's a legitimate use of drugs for a purpose and then there's, you know, abusing fentanyl. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so because it's a word that runs a gamut, pharmacaea, uh -huh. just like the word drug, run, runs a, a gamut from beneficial to so unbeneficial, it's potentially either like addictive or and or deadly. Mm -hmm. Okay, really broad meaning word. But what, what kind of ties all those together? Like what is implied there or what's suggested? And I'm going to try out this word and see, see, see what you think. Okay. Supplement. 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 Like in, like an herbal supplement. Well, or? no, I like, I mean that that's another way of understanding the, the word drug is as a supplement. Any anytime a person is taking something mm -hmm. by virtue of their taking it, it's supplementing some lack. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, of course, here in Revelation, it's in a, it's in a negative context. Yeah. But it, we should be starting to think about, okay, so what is she supplementing and how is she doing it? Right. Does that make sense so far or like kind of my train of thought? I'm not sure yet. Not sure yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's clear that the, uh, the whore of Babylon here is into witchcraft. Right. So that that's also a, a way of understanding witchcraft is it's a it's a it's an evil supplement. Okay. Cuz you you wouldn't get into witchcraft like you wouldn't try to cast a spell if you had whatever that ability is if you could affect that thing by your own innate talents abilities whatever. Uh-huh. Right? Right. Okay. So let's go to the word spell. I was doing an assignment with my 8th graders where, where we, ha we, we read this short poem that used the word spell. Mm -hmm. And because spell is a word that can, can mean... Uh, now, spell doesn't exactly run the gamut exactly in the way that drug does because it's like one meaning with like a, a range of connotations. Mm -hmm. The word spell actually has different definitions. Right. You know, every it has verb definitions and noun definitions. Yep. Everything from like saying what letters and what order are in a particular word. Yep. That... All, but the the old meaning. Let me rest a spell. Let me rest a spell. You know, a short time. Right. But the uh, the old meaning of spell is the way that it's used here in both of our translations. Okay. In, in the sense of like a magic spell. And here's what I found. I, I had to to dig out the old, uh, you know, Webster's third edition. You know, this six, eight, twelve inches thick. Right book. You know, that told me some stuff about etymology. Right. And what I found. You have this at your house. You've referenced it's at my school dictionary. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's at the school. You should steal it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I stole it, nobody would know because nobody besides me wants it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um, <clears throat> so a spell is a fiction. It's hmm. a story. Really? Yeah. I've never heard that before. 
I hadn't either. Hmm. A magic fiction then, right? Okay, so here's how it ties in with the idea of magic. And it's it's also related to the idea of supplement. Mm -hmm. Because what witchcraft always is, is a particular imagining of person A. Uh -huh. And trying to... So if you have imagined something that doesn't... That, that, that hasn't manifested itself in the f material, physical world, then it's a fiction. It's a story. Okay. Witchcraft starts as a story in the mind of either the, uh, the, the, the person seeking the, the, the spell or the person actually enacting it. Right. So I guess you have like the, the customer or you have the, you know, the actual sorcerer himself or herself. Okay. It's a fiction. Right. It's something that isn't true. And the whole point of witchcraft, like the craft in witchcraft, is alleging or believing that there's a method or a technique by which you can bring that fiction into the real world. Okay. It's it's the transmutation of fiction into nonfiction. Mm -hmm. At least in theory. Like that's the theory of witchcraft. Right. And I had never thought about it in those terms. Hmm. I'm wondering if we can understand this better if we think of like Emperor's New Groove or something. Okay. How about Little Mermaid? Okay. I love throwing that movie under the bus. Okay. Because the moral of the story is, hey girls, if you just do whatever the heck you please, in the end... Don't listen to your dad. Your dad is just going to have to give you what you want. So go for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Disney's the worst. Oh, man. I mean, there are some that are great. Swiss Family Robinson, great flick. Yeah. Lady and the Tramp, mostly on the up and up. Yeah, but like if you watch the Disney Channel right now, I had to point this out to my boys. Either I wouldn't they, do they, that. They're, they're watching something. I'm like, hey, uh, doesn't that dad seem kind of dumb to you? Yeah. Like, doesn't it seem like the kids think they're smarter than the dad? Yeah. Or the other thing is just everybody's dumb. That's another thing. It's like sure. a lot of overacting. Anyways, I digress. Go ahead. You we digress. So Ariel, Little Mermaid, what's her initial situation? Oh, man, I've been a while. Like, what is she? She's a mermaid. She's a mermaid. Right. By virtue of her mermaidness, she has a... She's a tail. She has a tail. And because she has a tail, she can't... Walk. She can't walk on... Land. Land with... Her boyfriend. <laughs> I was going to say legs. Oh, with her legs. <laughs> With uh, with the so so we we see that it all that whole situation starts as a fiction, mm -hmm. because I, she, I think she, theoretically you would say, and she can't breathe oxygen. Well, she she seems like she can't. Of course, like that's getting into yeah, like yeah. mermaid physiology, right? And I didn't take that class in college. We're supposed to be keeping this to an hour, folks. We're supposed to be keeping this to an hour. I'm really sorry. Okay, so. <laughs> So she she's come up with this this fantasy like yep. she wants for herself and for her life to look like X, but unfortunately for her it's Y. Right. So how how is she going to do that? How can she bring about the fiction? How can she make the fiction manifest itself in in the in the real world? She goes and sees Ursula, who has a technique by which she's able to make the thing happen. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's the case with. Witchcraft, whether it's Little Mermaid or or Faustus, you know, or Faust, you know, Goethe, Johann von Goethe, like that's like the original "Sell Your Soul to the Devil" story. Okay, in like classic no. literature. 
Okay, enter Lewis. Oh, here we go. Enter Lewis. Um, I think we'll start with <clears throat> De Descriptione Temporum, which is Latin for a description of the times. And for those of you keeping score at home, this was Lewis's inaugural lecture from the Chair of Medieval and Renaissance Literature at Cambridge University, 1954. So in other words, he became the chair of that new department in 1954. He held that chair, I want to say, until 59, and then he passed away in 63, same day as JFK and Aldous Huxley, hmm. which is uh, pretty interesting. So what what this is about is is he's given a defense for why it's a good idea to have a single department focused on medieval and renaissance literature instead of having a department of renaissance literature and a department of medieval literature oh. or you know vice versa okay um and so part of his argument is that all historical divisions are superimposed afterwards and and are therefore somewhat artificial oh that's interesting yeah yeah and lewis was of the mind that you you can't really fully learn from history or understand history because it isn't over yet. Right. You know, like the story isn't complete. And so, you know, it's okay. Like it's, it's still, it's still going, it's still happening. So we, 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 we shouldn't be like overly certain mm -hmm. about historical matters. Right. Um, but he says that it is possible, like if, if we are going to, to draw lines, which are somewhat arbitrary, he wouldn't draw it between the, the medieval period and the Renaissance and he he gives some argument for that, like why he sees those two as, as really being very similar to each other. So if you would turn to, well, it, there aren't page numbers, but you can sort of see one and two that, are, that I've got on the front here. Uh -huh. I printed stuff out for, for Byron, for those of you keeping score at home and wondering what the shuffling of paper is. Um, let's see. Okay, look at pa what would be page four, and you see that I've got a big star by it? Yep. Okay, let me read that to you. <clears throat> a third possible frontier remains to be considered uh, about like where to, where to draw like an historical line. We might draw our lines somewhere towards the end of the 17th century with the general acceptance of Copernican, Copernicanism, the dominance of Descartes, and in England, the foundation of the Royal Society, which was focused on the sciences. Indeed... If we were considering the history of thought in the, narrow, in the narrower sense of the word, I believe this is where I would draw my line. But if we are considering the history of our culture in general, it's a different matter. Certainly the sciences then began to advance with a firmer and more rapid tread. To that advance, nearly all the, all the later and, in my mind, vaster changes can be traced. But the effects were delayed. The sciences long remained like a lion cub whose gambols delighted its master in private. It had not yet tasted man's blood. All through the 18th century, the tone of the common mind remained ethical, rhetorical, juristic, rather than scientific, so that Johnson, uh, Ben Johnson, famous uh, poet and uh, critic, could truly say, the knowledge of external nature and the sciences which that knowledge requires or includes are not the great or the frequent business of the human mind. Mm. It's easy to see why. This is going back uh, to Lewis. He's not paraphrasing Johnson anymore. He explains, science was not the business of man because man had not yet become the business of science. It chiefly dealt with the inanimate and it threw off few 
technological byproducts. When Watt makes his engine, when Darwin starts monkeying with the ancestry of man and Freud with his soul and the economists with all that is his, then indeed the lion will have got out of its cage. Its liberated presence in our midst will become one of the most important factors in everyone's daily life. But not yet. Not in the 17th century. Hmm. Thoughts? Uh, I guess my primary thought thinking through this is uh, I was listening to... um, I was actually listening to Jordan Peterson. He had a podcast where he was talking to a gentleman from Oxford and one from Cambridge. Oh, I started listening to that. And, uh, you know, they started talking about Aquinas. And, you know, Aquinas is another one of those that, like, I know from the timeline, you know. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really know who he was. And so I watched, listened to a couple short things on him. And uh, I guess what this reminds me of is is that is, like, it, it, if I'm understanding it correctly, he was kind of... He was he was almost like the person in the church that gave the okay for us to for Christians to explore reason, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think so. I think with that to 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 appeal to science, and so I guess when reading through this, um, I don't. know, It reads as though you could, like you said it wasn't it wasn't the uh, what did it say there? Science was not. Science had not become the business of man because man had not yet become the business of science. Right. Um, so I guess it, it kind of reminded me of that idea. Mm-hmm. Let me give you one more quote here. This is on the, the last page. <clears throat> and this one is uh, v- very much shorter. He says, In the individual life, as the psychologists have taught us, it is not the remembered but the forgotten past that enslaves us. <clears throat> I think the same is true of society. To study the past does indeed liberate us from the present, from the idols of our own market marketplace. That's the, not, where is that? It's on the it's on the last page, top paragraph. I've got it underlined, and then I sort of uh, highlight or like rewrote that phrase from the idols of our own marketplace. Okay, I found it. Yeah. The idols of our own marketplace. Like, doesn't that sound a lot like Revelation? Yeah. The idols of our own marketplace. Okay, so n- now flipping over to uh, the the abolition of of man. If anybody out there has never read The Abolition of Man, I highly recommend it. You can also go on YouTube and listen to the audiobook version of Abolition of Man. And I did that twice today while I was working on other stuff. Hmm. I highly recommend it. It's a series of three essays. The first is called Men Without Chests. Uh, the second is called The Tao. The Tao, like T-A-O, T-A-O. as in like, like yep. Taoism. And he, he, he's not talking about Taoism. He, he's using just the definition of the word, which is the way. Mm-hmm. And then the third essay is like the, uh, the, the penultimate, like the, the, title, the title track, so to speak. And that's the one that, that I, I want to... Uh, look at real quick this one is actually um paginated which is which is nice uh let's see i've got a whole lot of notes back here but there was one particular one that that i wanted to to share with you because it it specifically talks about um applied science Mm -hmm. and believe it like already in data scriptione temporum we saw that as Lewis was talking about the dangers of the applied sciences, one of those is economics. 
That that's one of the things that he said in De, De Descriptioni Temporum. He also made reference to the idols of our marketplace. Yeah. So let let me. I should have written down the uh, the page number here. So in post production, you can just put some thinking music <laughs> right here. <laughs> Let's see, John Locke, not that. That's the problem with with underlining so much stuff. You have to. I think you're in page thirty-eight. I think it talks about the magician's oh, bargain. Yeah. There's something which unites magic and applied science. Yep, that's it. Yeah. That's it. So this is getting back to magic. Uh, let's see. Nothing I can say will prevent some people from describing this lecture as an attack on science. God forbid. I deny the charge, of course. And real natural philosophers, there are now some alive will perceive that in defending value, I defend inter alia, the value of knowledge, which must die like every other when its roots in the Tao are cut. But I can go further than that. I even suggest that from science herself the cure might come. I have described as a magician's bargain that process whereby man surrenders object after object and finally himself to nature in return for power. And I meant what I said. The fact that the scientist has succeeded where the magician failed has put such a wide contrast between them in popular thought that the real story of the birth of science is misunderstood. You will find even people who write about the 16th century as if magic were a medieval survival and science the new thing that came in to sweep it away. Mm. Those who have studied the period know better. There was very little magic in the Middle Ages. The 16th and the 17th centuries are the high noon of magic. The serious magical endeavor and the serious scientific endeavor are twins. One was sickly and died and the other strong and throve. But they were twins. They were born of the same impulse. I allow that some, certainly not all, of the early scientists were actuated by a pure love of knowledge. But if we consider the temper of that age as a whole, we can discern the impulse of what I speak. There is something which unites magic and applied science while separating both from the wisdom of earlier ages. For the wise men of old, the cardinal problem had been how to conform the soul to reality, and the solution had been knowledge, self-discipline, and virtue. For magic and applied science alike, the problem is how to subdue reality to the wishes of men. Hmm. See what I mean about tr having, a, having a personal fiction yeah. That you want to actualize, that you want to you want to cause to manifest in the physical world. Like the science. Like the science. Right. So uh, for magic and applied science alike, the problem is how to subdue reality to the wishes of man. It's how to make reality do what I say. Yeah. The solution is a technique. And both in the practice of this technique are ready to do things hitherto regarded as disgusting and impious, such as digging up and mutilating the dead. If we compare the chief trumpeter of the new era, Sir Francis Bacon, who was a scientist, by the way, with Marlowe's Faustus, remember I said like Dr. Faustus? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's, that's what that's talking about. He was a magician. The similarity is striking. You will read in some critics that Faustus has a thirst for knowledge. In reality, he hardly mentions it. It's not truth he wants from the devils, but gold and guns and girls. Skipping down a little bit, the true object of the scientist 
is to extend man's power to the performance of all things possible. He rejects magic. He he he, re, he rejects magic because it does not work. But his goal is that is is that of the magician. Hmm. He says down lower, uh, m- repentance may be required. So, I know this is a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I, know, I know this is a whole lot, but but this is this is why I, I wanted a, a part three, and and maybe why even though like you know you can lead next time, there's probably going to be a part four, um, because th- this is this is something that that I've been mulling over for years i mean yeah years like a decade easily a decade and now it's going to be on the internet and and now it's going to be on the internet but it's good it's good to talk about you know kind of in this live recorded format as it were um these things so a couple more points alchemy Uh uh-huh you you know about that? You heard about that one? I've heard that word before. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember what it is? What did your big dictionary say that is? Well, I didn't look at the etymology. But alchemy was trying to turn base metals like lead into gold. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, and it, and it, it was this kind of <clears throat> half magic, half science type thing. Okay. And that's one of the things that Lewis is talking about that didn't work. Right. You know, gold and guns and girls. Mm-hmm. Well, the way that you get the guns and the girls is if you get the gold. Right. And the gold is hard to get. It is. But you got this lead over here. and what, it's, it's scarce. It's scarce. Wouldn't it be great if we could, you know, kind of abracadabra this, th- this, this, uh, this lead into gold? Because then we could get the guns and the girls. Yeah. So I, I get like I'm, I'm reading all of, all of this to you and sharing this with you because w- what what it looks like to me or how about wouldn't it be cool if we could just pull gold out of midair? Exactly. Yeah. It turned out that alchemy didn't work, but the desire to cre- essentially create gold or money out of thin air didn't go away. It just turned its focus right elsewhere. And yeah. and I was looking at the history of central banks and the kind of the abracadabra that they do is called fractional reserve banking. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go into all that right now, but it dates to like the 1600s. Yeah. So it's like you can see that these these desires are all kind of clustered historically with each other and some of them some of some of these techniques didn't work and so they they died off but others did work and they grew and they expanded. Yeah. And I would say that modern not like local like George Bailey savings and loan type banking. Right. I don't mean that. I'm talking about like global money cartel central banking type things. Like our local banks, you know, the ones that are owned locally, like they don't they don't have anything to do with I mean like they might operate on some of the same principles, but it's they're not over the kings of the earth and the merchants, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. But there are those entities out there yeah. that Thomas Jefferson and James Madison were were critical of and, and other patriots remain critical of um to this day so how how can we can we connect this back to the scriptures and why maybe it's a bad idea to have a method by which we create money out of thin air well maybe i should say this so here's how we create money out of thin air for example 
the way that the Federal Reserve works is this. Every single dollar that's in circulation, whether it's like in your pocket or like between the, the like, you know, some pennies and nickels between the cushions of your couch. Yeah. Or under your couch or in your dog's belly. I, not, not your dog's belly, but I've, I've heard of these things happening. <laughs> um, or like in the wishing well at the mall. Yep. Or fountain or whatever. So if you take all of that that exists in physical currency and that exists on uh, like servers. Yeah. You know, just digitally exists. Right. right. If you take all of that and it, you just take all of that together and, and lump it together, that is the principle on the debt that we owe to the Federal Reserve Bank. Really? Really. Hmm. Like money, like in fractional reserve fiat currency banking, money is debt. Right. So how does how do how do banks make money? Interest. So if we took all of that that existed digitally and in specie currency and gave it back to the Federal Reserve, it wouldn't be enough because the interest literally doesn't exist. Hmm. abracadabra yeah well you know i think about like and let's see if maybe this will be completely not correct but like when you look at the idea of social security and why people are upset about that right and and so it's basically like i guess this is my my crude understanding of it well we need money now you know who doesn't need money future people yeah right so we take the money from the future and use it now, and then we just have to pay it back before future people need it. Right. Isn't that essentially the, what the problem is here? Yeah, and we're so good at that. We're like $27 trillion in debt. Right. And maybe fixing to be another $3.5 trillion in debt. Yeah. On top of that. Yeah. Abracadabra. Right. And I would say that, that when you take all of this together, the scriptures and the things we know about history and the things that C.S. Lewis is telling us about about history, to, to me it paints a pretty clear picture that the thing that's over the kings of the earth and the merchants is, is it's a financial thing. Yeah. And so what do the scriptures say about it? So turn to Revelation 19, and I think this, this can be where we wrap up for the night. Because... Uh, I think it's probably good to end on a white pill since I've been red pilling you all night. <laughs> Wait, what's the white one? Uh, just something hopeful. Oh, okay. Yeah, something good. Good news. Revelation 19. I'm there. Where do you want me to go? Uh, Tell you what, read verses 1 through... How about 3? All right. It says, Threefold hallelujah over Babylon's fall. After this, I heard what sounded like a, the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah. I feel like it should be, there's an exclamation point there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, there you go. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, Hallelujah. <laughs> The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Okay, so she falls, mm -hmm. and that's really good news. <clears throat> Remember how it said, come out of her, my people? Yes. And partake no longer in her adulteries? Yeah. We probably just need to, to chew on that and think about what, what, that, might, what that might mean. Yeah. 
So I, I want to read a little bit more because the news gets better. Not only is Babylon, the whore of Babylon, not only is she fallen, and not only is she just burned up, apparently, <clears throat> but the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like sound and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for, the, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are, who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These words are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Don't do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the, for the, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So th I don't think it's a coincidence that right after the description of the fall of Babylon, we have like the very next thing that's, that's described is the wedding supper of the Lamb and, and the bride of Christ uh, being revealed. Hmm. Let me ask you this. Yeah. And I this might be opening up a whole new, you know, or a whole new Pandora's box. But so effectively what we were describing here is part of God's returning, let's say, or part, part of the of Babylon falling is they're no longer needing needing they're no, they're no longer being a need for money in our lives right right so when we look at the different economic systems that we fight over in the mm -hmm. world because ultimately when we look at the the progression from mercantilism to uh capitalism and then what what those on the left think it, the natural progression is socialism than communism. Mm -hmm. So that communist utopia that they long for, that, I mean, isn't that what they're trying to get through human means? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think I mean, what we're saying here is, I mean, and this is kind of always like, it's like, yeah, man, that sounds great, but wake up. Like that's not possible. Not right. on this earth. I mean, it is possible, but this is how that's possible. Right. Well, they, they are trying, and if you read all of the abolition of man, like that, that's really what Lewis is talking about is the, uh, like the, the, the assumptions and their corollaries that are trying to bring about literally the abolition of man, mm -hmm. which that's really what the communists are after. And that's why every time they take, take control over a particular place, it's just an absolute bloodbath. Yeah. Like you know, they, just, they're literally <clears throat> doing away with man. Right, because man's ostensibly what they and a lot of the applied sciences are after is man's conquest of nature. Mm -hmm. But what man's conquest of nature really means is man's conquest of man. Right. In other words, the control of most men by some men. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, one thing I forgot about. So, so why would this like fractional reserve fiat currency system thing where we just have like funny money that's not actually based on anything why might that be problematic scripturally even outside of revelation <clears throat> proverbs 11:1 1. the lord abhors dishonest scales but accurate weights are his delight mm -hmm. and constitutionally the only legal tender in the united states 
is gold and silver. Right. And because that, that can be, it can be like weighed and, and measured accurately and, and the purity of it can be tested and, and it's, it's more stable. Yeah. You know, it's, there, there, there's a reality to it and you can't like hocus pocus it into anything else. Yeah. But that's not what we have anymore. No. And so that's why I think the situation is getting worse on the one hand and partially why we have the increase of wickedness that Christ prophesied in Matthew 24 and and the increase of wickedness accompanies the love of most growing cold. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, as the love of most grows cold, like what's as love of people wanes, well, what do we do? Well, we love money more and the love of money is the roots of all kinds of evil. Man. You know, again, rabbit rabbit trail potentially, but it's like you think about some of the stuff that we see going on in the world, and this is like maybe uh, on it. Well, it's on a large scale, but uh, well, whatever. I'm just gonna say what I was gonna say. Are you are you aware of this this thing OnlyFans? Do you know what that is? Uh, it's like a uh, some sort of porn thing, right? And so it, it's it's almost like for so my understanding of it is that a young lady can now get on this I don't know website app or whatever it is and she can and people subscribe to her and like almost pay her directly uh-huh you know but I mean you think about that like so we have an example of where people are doing all kinds of evil for the sake of money but again it's not even it's not even a money that actually exists mm-hmm you know, because it's all it's all electronic payments. I assume. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. assuming nobody's mailing anybody checks checks or, <laughs> you know, cash. And it and so. It's it's people doing evil, for, for magic effectively. Right, and it's it's all a supplement. Like we have, people, um, you know, um, like the heart above all things is deceitful. Or, um, you know, like, like the, the imaginings of man's heart are entire, like are continually sinful. Mm-hmm. So, so like we, de- we develop, we generate these fictions, like we want our life to, to be X and Y and Z. And when, when it's not, or we don't see that we have the ability, you know, by work, let's say mm-hmm. like legitimate work, um, against, you know, thorns and thistles and briars and whatnot to, to achieve this this thing well then we need to be supplemented Mm -hmm. and it's like well okay so what what's the supplement because some are more or less okay Mm -hmm. depending on the 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 reason and the situation like you know like some herbal tea for the sniffles yeah or like some sort of like really heavy duty like drug to keep you awake and and doing whatever it is that you're doing but but it's not just drugs. It's th- that's why I I said like pharmacia. We need to think supplement mm-hmm. because when the kings of the earth and the merchants don't have sufficient financial means to do what they want to do, they got ways of being supplemented. Yeah. And that system is going to fall. Yeah. It, man, and I, when I think about some of the stuff that's going on right now, it's like these these merchants and i mean politicians and and what have you it's like you you sure seem to have a lot of confidence in the durability of this thing Mm -hmm. and you just keep messing with it yeah you know and like we're all going to pay 
Well, many of us are going to pay. Maybe they won't, and that's the problem. They th- they think they won't. Yeah. Man, th- I I almost said something that that would launch us into a a part four, but maybe I should just stick with the scripture. If they knew that they were that they were, um, that they were crucifying the the King of Glory or the Prince of Glory, they wouldn't have done it. Yeah. So they 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 don't they don't know. Yeah. But back to the white pill, Jesus is coming back, and all of the garbage that's associated with human beings trying to supplement ultimately our like our limitations. Mm-hmm. You know the limitations that God put up, put on us to limit our sinfulness. Yeah. Like mortality, by the way. Yeah. You know, because that's that's a great mercy. All all of those things that, that were that humans are 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 doing, constructing, thinking of, crafting to supplement ourselves in unholy ways, that is going to end. And that whole system from the top down is going to fall. And Jesus is coming back and we want to be a part. We want. We want to be the bride. Yeah. We want to increase our our likeness to the bride of Christ and decrease our likeness and our connection to the whore of Babylon. Yeah. Okay. I think that's it. Good. Yeah. All right. Is there a part four? Uh, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Yep. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and this time together to spend time worshiping you, God, and we thank you for. Um, just the the things that we read tonight and the insights that we can draw from them, God, we we ask just, uh, ask we we uh, we just strive to be ever mindful of the evils in this world and help us to overcome them, uh, and help us to uh, to be more like Jesus and to just anticipate His return, knowing that that's that's when 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 all this will be made right. Uh, We ask that you uh, forgive us of our sins, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.